Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Kevin Cramden, CEO and chairman of Tribar Technologies, which is a leading designer and manufacturer of automotive components. Kevin is also the executive partner at HCI Equity Partners, a private equity firm, and serves on a publicly traded oil and gas company called Helmerich & Payne. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Well, thank you. It's great to be on with you. Yes, I'm so glad that Eric Nelson connected us and he already warned me you have a slew of successes as a leader. <laughs> so the challenge will be which ones to talk about. But I know previously you were also CEO of Cardone Industries and you led the company to record results. You have also succeeded in working with Japanese companies, European companies. You succeeded at Ford in various yeah. industries and you've done 50 M&A transactions close to you know 25 billion. So I don't even know where to start with you, but why do you think you have succeeded so well? Well, I think one of the big things, and I was, uh, I'll start with the story. I was one of the boards I'm on is a, is a trucking company and our sales guy uh, played football, SEC football, played with Herschel Walker and uh, ended up coaching in the SEC at several schools. And we were having dinner together and I asked him about recruiting. And I said, what were you looking for? Were you looking for top recruits, those five-star recruits that everybody goes after? Or were you looking for something else. And he went on to say, I wasn't looking at stars at all. He said he had several top-notch five-star recruits that never played in the NFL, where he had some mid-level ranked guys who were very successful, played a decade in the NFL. And I said, well, what was the difference? He said, Kevin, the difference is they were go get them guys. Mm -hmm. And if I think about how I recruit, how I look for people, how I can gauge the ability to be successful in a company or even in other aspects of life is I need go get them guys and gals because at the end of the day, you know, the difference is not having a good idea, but being able to execute. And I, uh, one of my favorite inventors, and you probably heard of him, his name's Thomas Edison. And Thomas Edison's famous quote was, is it's 1% inspiration and it's 99% perspiration. So in terms of success in the companies that I've led, it's really really you know, building the team and building the team around people that are go get them folks, people that are going to go at it, going to push through, going to take on the challenges and have that kind of go get them attitude. So I think that that's critical number one. And again, even when I look for people, I do it every day now as we're looking for talent, we're looking for go get them people, not necessarily the best resume, but the best attitude, the best ability to continue to learn, to continue to be successful. And, and that's the number one element. The other thing, and I actually learned this overseas, I had a chance to live in Asia and, and work in Asia and to live and work in Europe. And when you go to those types of places, you how different it is. And so you know that you have to figure out how you can build commonality. And especially in those places, relationships are so critical. So one of the things I learned early in my career is the importance of relationship building and building relational capital. And relational capital 
model is usually built up over time. It's built through uh, constant interaction. It's built through working collaboratively. All those things build the capital that you need then to be successful for your team because most of what you do is a team sport. Nobody ever does anything alone. And when you're in these team type environments, be it business or in your community or in your family, it becomes critical that you build this relational capital that can take you through the good times and the tough times of life, really. So uh, so those are the kind of the two main kind of things I learned very early. And one of the techniques I've adopted, and I'll give a short story. I actually was working for a, a Ukrainian a few years ago as a, in a consulting way. And uh, this guy was spoke a different language. He was worth, I think, eight or $10 billion, grew up in a totally different economic environment. So we had very little in common. So what I try to do is, where is the touch point where I can start to build a relationship? For the first time I met him, I got in, I went to his office in Kiev and noticed that he was an art lover and he loved Impressionist paintings. And so I was was looking before he came in at his walls. And the first thing I said, oh, I see a, like art and like impressionism. And he went on to tell me how those were originals. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I have a couple of prints at home. But that was really started the fire of our relationship. That interest that we had a common interest in art enabled me to build a relationship with him. That was the one element of commonality. And so whenever I meet somebody, I'm always looking for, is there a commonality of where we grew up or interest or whatever. It's a tremendous technique I find to start to build relationship. Even when I meet my employees on the factory floor, I want to know where they're from, what they're, what they're like. Do they have kids? Do they have grandkids? Well, what is the kind of nugget of commonality that we can start to build the relationship? And people remember that. So if you know something about them, if you take the time to build some commonality, they appreciate that because everybody yes. wants to be loved and, and to be cared about and someone that can, is concerned. So that's been another thing that I've really focused on. And again, it came out of the foreign nature of some of these assignments that I have where I knew I had nothing in common. So I had to work on it to, to find something. Well, you've given us some jewels, so I have to ask a few questions. So first of all, it sounds like some of this leadership success you learned, as you said, by your international experience and having to figure things out as you go. Have you also had any leadership training? And follow-up question is, what tools do you use or how do you know if you're hiring a go-getter or not? Because people are getting so good at giving good interviews. Right. Well, the first part of it, I mean, I, I spent my first 20 years at the Ford Motor Company. Great experience, worked around the world, got a chance to work in every aspect of the business. Great training ground. They did a fabulous job when we went on these foreign assignments to give us immersion training and, and help us build a network. So it was fabulous. It was a great grounding. And so they sent me to the London Business School when I was overseas to get a better grounding of that environment and, and what it is to work in, in, in a foreign environment, which is very different from being in, a, in the US. And so they were really good at that. So I, I credit them for that the investment that they made in me over the years. So those things are important to get to train, but practical experience is the best teacher. 
I was in Japan. First time I was immersed in a negotiation where Ford was looking to buy Mazda, controlling interest in Mazda. And I noticed very quickly that the negotiating strategies were different. The Japanese, the only senior leader spoke. The junior people said nothing. And we spent days making no progress. And then lo and behold, we went out to karaoke and everybody let their hair down. And I remembered my wife's advice, though, when I went to karaoke. She said, because I grew up in Detroit, Motown, right? And I wanted to sing Michael Jackson, but she said, Kevin, you do not have that range. So I stayed with my range and I did Elvis and I knocked it out of the park. So I can do Elvis pretty good, especially the ballads. And after that, our relationship with my Japanese colleagues on the other side radically changed because all of a sudden we had a relationship building time together where we kind of relaxed, got to know each other a little bit. And after that, things actually moved. Whereas before that, it was like a stone face spending hours together with no progress. So those kinds of things are always great practical learnings. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, a great story to share. I know the world is getting more global. So, and then what about hiring? How do you know if you have hired a go-getter? Do you use a tool? Do you use instincts, processes, or, or referrals, or how do you do it? Well, a couple of things. I think the my interview style, of course, I start with a resume, look at experiences, but what I ask people in an interview is to explain to me how they accomplish certain things. Hmm. Because that is a good way to understand if somebody's a go-getter. Now, tell me how you went about handling this challenge or that challenge. And it's amazing. Some people say, well, I did this, and then I took on this, and then I did this. And in many cases, you know, from people, you'll get more of a rote kind of, well, I worked here, and I worked there, and I did that. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the techniques that I use. I look for action words. I look for what they've done, what they've accomplished. I ask them to talk about challenges because in every environment, there's always a challenge. How did you take on yeah. challenges? How did you be able to understand the challenge and then plot your plan and then execute? Because I focus on execution because in the world that I'm living in, is uh, there's a lot of people with good ideas, but execution is the differentiator. Yeah. And at the end of the day, that becomes the key critical performance indicator. Did we execute? So then to me, you sound like Mr. Perfect and you have always succeeded in leading people. So I have to ask, did you ever struggle as a leader? Well, I think the biggest struggle that uh, that I've had, and, and it's been interesting of late, is it's so easy for me to think that everybody thinks like I do. Mm -hmm. So, because you think, okay, how would I approach it? And then I have to step back and say, well, I'm a type A. I was the oldest in my family. So I was naturally put into that position where you got, you're pushed yeah. up the nest and all of those things. And, and just recently during the pandemic, I was talking to some of our hourly folks and they said, we've been struggling to get everybody back. And why aren't people coming back? Don't they want to get back in, into the, to the office or back into the plant? And one of my employees, again, salt of the earth person said, he says, Kevin, I work to live. And if the government's going to pay to live, I, he basically said, I'm not you. I'm not there because yeah. I have some career or psychological benefit, I'm here to take care of my family. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I'm about. And I've learned that some of the most sophisticated finance people are the ones on the lower end of the income spectrum, because you know, a dollar here and there makes a lot 
a difference. So they're very sophisticated and very sensitive to, to economic issues. And so that is a big learning for me that I have to keep reminding myself that I don't represent, nor do I think like everybody else. There's people come from different backgrounds, different economic situations, different socioeconomic, different, different motivations. And so, and what I've concluded for me, it's like parenting. I have four kids. They're all different. And so you've got to remember, because at first I thought my kids would be just like me. And, and that kind of scared my wife, I think. But it's a parenting type of approach. So I think leadership in a lot of ways is like parenting. You have to adjust your style for the folks that you're trying to motivate. And some people get motivated with hard love or tough love, mm -hmm. and some need kind of the pat on the back, and others need to be encouraged. And, and, and there's different approaches, and, and you have to be able to adapt yourself to be successful because you need all the complementary folks as part of your team. It, it just can't can't all be like me because that's kind of like sports. You know, there's in most team sports, there's only one ball, so somebody has to rebound in basketball. Everybody can shoot it. Well said. So thank you for sharing that. I suspect a lot of leaders can relate to what you just said. And then as we start to wrap up the show, you've obviously made it through many challenges and many crises. Do you have another tip you want to share for leaders that keep facing challenges and may not yet have had all the successes you've had on how to interact with them? Yeah, I think there's one big thing. I've been in a lot of transformational situations where you're, you're constantly trying to manage crisis or manage change. And the and I almost view it as an ER doctor would view it. So the first thing you got to do is don't panic. Next thing you have to do is you have to quickly diagnose the issue. And then you have to then move to how you triage it. And this is where one of my former colleagues, and I quote him all the time, he used to say, don't let pursuit of the great get in the way of achievement of the good. Especially when you're in crisis situations, you have to just make some progress, demonstrate some progress, because then you can build confidence in the team if you're making progress. If you're waiting for, for the solution to be the great solution, it takes too much time, too much effort, too, too hard to execute. And then if I could finish with a quote from one of my good friends, uh, Dick Schultz. Dick used to be head of the NCAA and was a coach at Iowa and was the athletic director of Virginia and ended up being the head of the U.S. Olympics. And Dick said to me, I was talking to him a few months ago and he and I was, I was complaining because everything doesn't go perfect for me, by the way. So there's some of my greatest learnings have been my failures. But I was telling him how difficult the last couple of years have been, the toughest of my career in terms of managing. And Dick said to me, Dick's 92. And he said, Kevin, I grew up during the depression in World War II. And I had 16 bad years in a row. And you know what? I got through it and it was okay. So Kevin, it's going to be okay. And I thought that was great wisdom. Wow. Well, then I'm glad you guys had that conversation and you continue to lead at Tribar. I know if people want to know more about the company, it is tribar.com. And it's been amazing listening to both your best practices and also what you struggled with and appreciate your contributions to other leaders. The CEO Blind Spots Show. Well, great. It was great to be with you.